Good morning. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. You might not recognize me because the church hasn't let me preach for like two months. Um, you also might not recognize me based on my attire. Nobody is getting married or buried today. Uh, you can tell because the pants don't match the jacket. But it's a season for new beginnings, isn't it? I mean, that, the air is crisp. That means fall is here, and that's the best season of the year, whether you think so or not. (laughs) Students are back from the colleges, and the seminary students are trickling in. If you're a student here, welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here this morning. School is back in session for our children, and so for those of us who don't homeschool, I'm not going to lie, there's a collective sigh of relief. And we even launched a new Sunday morning schedule this morning. So congratulations to all of you who took advantage of even adult Sunday school. Uh, What a privilege to have yet one more opportunity for discipleship here at Community Church. We're thrilled to begin a new season. But it's also the time of year, and we kind of do this every year, it's the time of year that as things are ramping up, we pause to say, ask some of the obvious questions that we never get around to asking when we're in the midst of it all, right? This is the time of year where we're making our schedules and saying, what am I going to commit to? What am I not going to commit to? What ministries am I a part of? What ministries am I not going to be a part of? What clubs, what fraternities? What are all the things that are going to fill life this fall? And I suppose it's worth asking, why would we add church into the mix? Because especially now, I mean, it's hours and hours of church that we get to do together on Sunday mornings. That's a big time commitment. That's a big effort. That's big investment. Why church? We're going to spend two weeks just looking at that simple question. Why do we do this thing we call church? And this week, we're simply asking the question, why do we gather? What's the reason we come together? I don't want to answer that with my own answers. I have a lot. Um, and they're not all based on self-interest being the pastor. But I'd rather turn to God's Word and see what He has to say about this. So there's a great text that we're going to look at this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. And it's only a couple verses, so I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. But I invite you to follow along with me as we look at the question, why do we gather? Why did you show up? Why did you make the effort? Why are you here? Hebrews 10, 23-25 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, as we approach Your Word this morning, we pause to intentionally humble ourselves before You. Uh, We are not here gathered to hear my ideas. We're here gathered to hear Yours. And so we ask that You would be at work over these next two weeks just building a vision of what church is. Even as You invite us to experience being part of Your body in all of its fullness. So open our hearts and minds, make us receptive to your word, and lead us on, we ask in your precious name. Amen. I love this text. Uh, Usually, though, I grew up with this text. This is just the text that tells me I have to go to church. 
But think of it from an outsider perspective. What we do is weird. Oh, look at look at all you people. You all came here. Did you know you were all singing together? You know there was like a sing-song thing happening a couple minutes ago? That's weird. And now you're going to sit and listen to some substandard TED Talk type thing. But at least it's live, so that kind of compensates for it. Like, why are you here? This is weird. Why do we gather? Well, this is a text that actually answers that question for us from God's own heart. And why we gather begins... We gather because there is a common hope that we profess together. And we've been talking about it all summer long if you've been here. Our common hope is that our God is faithful. And what He's promised is faithful. That Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and He's coming back. And we gather to orient our lives around that reality because when everything else falls apart, that one truth remains. Our God is faithful. And we see it in what He did with Jesus Christ. We gather to celebrate God's great story into which He's invited us. We gather to retell this story again and again. But honestly, I could do that without any of you. You could do it without anybody else. Right? You could just retell the story. It's called a quiet time. It's, it's called personal devotions. Prayer and worship. You can retell the story. Saturate your life with Scripture. Pray. Enjoy the presence of God. And you don't need anybody else here to simply do those things. Why do we gather to do those things? It's a nuance on the question. Those things are important. We all know the mission of community church, and I would argue the mission of every church, just pick the letter you want to use for your, your uh, alliteration. We exist to exalt God, to equip one another, and to extend His grace into an unbelieving world. That's what the church is for. But why do we gather together to do that? Why do we gather together to retell and to rehearse and to enjoy the story of the hope that we have? The reason is actually in the couple of words that precede this. The writer of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why do we need to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess? Because we swerve. We swerve. We know what it means to live as followers of Jesus. Right? The Bible's actually remarkably clear on what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. Knowing that is not the hard part. Living it is. I mean, we see it in our, in our behavior. We see all of these admonitions in, in the Scriptures to say this is what life following Jesus should look like. This is what our character should be like. This is what our nature should be, our behavior. But sometimes integrity is really, really hard or costly. And so we allow some lies into a relationship to just make it go easier. Or we allow ourselves to be talked into cutting corners at work. And we swerve. Or or purity is too hard. Or rather, abandoning purity is too easy. And so we allow sexual sin or pornography into our lives and we swerve. Even just this idea of putting others' needs before my own, that kind of jeopardizes my needs getting met. And I really want my needs met. And so I swerve. 
And so our behavior can be affected. We can swerve behaviorally, but lest we think this is just some sort of moralism that we're supposed to live up to some legalistic standard. If you've been around community church long enough, I hope you realize that behavior is simply symptomatic of a deeper truth. That if our behavior is swerving, that underneath that, there's a relationship that is swerving. The the more devastating swerve is that our relationship with Jesus goes sideways. And usually when our behavior swerves, that's simply an indicator of this deeper reality that our walk with Jesus has begun to swerve. Whether it's just saying, I can do this on my own. It's so much hard work to actually live the way Christ wants me to live. So you know what? For this next season, I'm just going to take a season off. And I'm going to swerve. I'm going to do life on my own. I don't need God. I don't particularly want God or any of the hard decisions He's calling me to make. And that's the swerve that will kill you. When we stop living with Jesus, stop spending time daily with Jesus, stop living each day aware of His presence with us through each day, that's the swerve that will get you. We swerve. So how do you stop the swerve? That's the heart of what I think this text is inviting us into. The text by verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Here's how you stop the swerve. We spur one another on. That that one another, that's one of the most annoying phrases in all of Scripture. Because it's everywhere. You can't escape it. Read through the whole New Testament. One another, one another, one another, one another. Just leave me alone. I want to do life my way. No, the Scripture says, you're called to do life with one another. We've been given this gift of one another. The people sitting next to you, the people sitting in front of you, behind you, even the people sitting above you, they count too. It's this crazy group of people who are really different from one another. Right? Some of you are iPhone people and some of you are Android. Some are Marvel and one of you is DC. Some are Star Wars, some are Star Trek. These are massive cultural and social... These differences can can wreck a community. Right? There's men and women. There's young and old. There's rich and poor, married and single, book smart, street smart... Politically, we're diverse. Even racially, we're diverse. When we gather, we are surrounding ourselves with people who are not like us. When we gather, we're recognizing that we are called into relationship with people who are categorically, sometimes even diametrically different than us. Except we all share that one hope we profess. These people who are different from us, though, The beauty is sometimes they have like a third-party impartial perspective on our lives that we lack for ourselves. We might not realize that we're swerving, but somebody walking beside you might. We sit here this morning as a community committed to walking beside one another so that we might spur one another on. This Christianity thing doesn't work solo. 
We need one another. And we need to spur one another on. To have people around us who will notice the symptoms. And maybe that's the behavior that you're like, yeah, I'm not sure that lines up with following Jesus. I wonder if someone should call that person out on that behavior and at least ask what's going on. People who notice the symptoms, people might be able to diagnose the root of the problem that says, what's going on with you and Jesus? Because it feels like I'm seeing a swerve. When we gather, we have the opportunity to spur one another on. Now, hear that. Because as it turns out, that means, one of the implications of that is that church isn't about you. And that's unusual for the culture in which we live. We don't even know how to process an experience that isn't custom-tailored for us. Sometimes, and I think we all fall into the trap, we approach church more like a consumer mindset, more like a, a meal when you're, you're a restaurant critic, if you're a food critic or something like that. Tell me if you've had thoughts like this, right? Or even just thinking through the, the restaurant critic, the food critic thing. The restaurant, well, it's in the wrong part of town, minus one point. Uh, it took too long to be seated. Uh, the waiter was a little abrupt when they came to take my order. They lacked empathy and genuine warmth. Uh, food was fine, not as fresh as it could have been. The wine list was subpar, nothing creative or really adventurous on the list. And the desserts, man, they'd been in the fridge for at least an hour. They had sort of the skim coat on the edge of the gelatinous substances. Overall, I didn't care very much for the experience, and everyone on Yelp is going to know about it. So that entire experience is centered on me and my preferences and what I expect and how I want this meal to happen. And if we're not careful, church is no different. I can't find a parking spot anywhere near that stinking church. Minus one. I wasn't able to dodge the greeters. Minus one. (laughs) Seventies green carpet. Really? Minus two. (laughs) The music. They didn't sing any of the songs I liked this morning. And the preaching. Tim was a little dry or a little off today. Or Tim wasn't even preaching today. Or they were preaching from a part of the Bible I didn't like. And no one talked to me after the service while I bolted for the door trying to escape without having to talk with anyone. (laughs) Minus ten. And the entire experience of church is evaluated based on what my preference is. I'm a consumer now coming for a product. Where in the world did we allow that kind of ideology into our experience of the gathered people of God? But we all do it. I even do it. But do you see how it's the opposite of being a follower of Jesus? And the opposite of Hebrews 10? Jesus says, find a church where you like everything that happens and where they cater to your personal preferences. Or, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Or the scriptures say, put others' needs before your own. And Hebrews 10 says, and when you gather, spur one another on. You see why that, word, those, that phrase is so dangerous? One another means it's not about me. One another means I'm putting my needs 
as secondary so that I might actually spur one another on. And just look at that word if you want to get uncomfortable. Spur one another on. Do you even know what a spur looks like? There's one. My man, Timmy Duncan. No, it's really the logo on his chest is what I'm pointing to. That doesn't look pleasant. You know, maybe not many of us are cowboys, but, but look at a cowboy spur. That's to be kicked into the side of your ribs. Does that look pleasant to you? You say, I want to come to church because they might kick me with that. <laughs> Is that the church that you want to be part of? How would that rank on Yelp? Or might that be what it takes to stop the swerve? Now, left to our own preferences, our own ways, we swerve from following Jesus so easily. And when it happens, it affects our approach to church. It distorts the very reasons we gather and we get critical and we get self-focused. It distorts the whole question of why church. But we need each other. We're here to spur one another on. That can happen formally. So as we're teaching from the front in a context like this, we, do, we are intentionally trying to teach the whole Bible, right? We don't just go to the text we always like because they make us feel good. We'll be working through a book of the Bible and we're like, ooh, those, those verses are really hard. Let's skip them. No, we'll actually try and hit them. And it might be uncomfortable. And it might challenge our views of God or our role in the culture or even our own personal identity. But we've got to go there. Sometimes it's God's Word that spurs us on. I want to make a habit of that, even if it negatively impacts our Yelp ratings. Which is more important? Being comfortable in church? Or killing the swerve? It could also happen personally, right? When you notice someone sitting beside you and you know something about their week and you see that they're not engaging in worship and maybe after church you take someone aside and say, how are you doing with Jesus? There's some behavior stuff that I'm seeing, but I'm assuming those are just symptoms. What's going on down here at the root that's overflowing into behavior? Or even noticing someone who doesn't come to church. I haven't seen them in a while. Maybe I'm going to get on the phone, put on my spurs, and see what's going on. It may not be comfortable being preached at from God's Word. It may not be comfortable getting or making a phone call. But which is more important? Our preferences and our comfort or full, rich, meaningful life with Christ together? We gather because we swerve. And yes, as those who swerve, sometimes we need a spur. Sometimes we don't need a spur. Sometimes we need something more gentle. Sometimes we need support. Sometimes we need courage. And the author of Hebrews draws our attention there as well. Not only are we to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, but we are to be encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching when Jesus comes back. We are to be encouraging one another. Let's think about that word for a while. Encourage one another. 
I think there's a, a mistaken idea of what that word means in the sense of uh, to encourage someone. It's to cheer them up, right? It's to brighten someone's day, to elevate their mood, because happiness is a form of magic rays of sunshine that come down when you're feeling blue. Anyone catch that reference? Thank you, Dan. No, to encourage. If you actually take that word apart, right? We want to... Hey, get back there. To encourage. To literally give someone courage. Why do you need to be given courage? Because our courage from time to time will fail. And if I'm all alone in this walk with Jesus and my courage fails, what happens then? But rather when we gather as the great one another of, of being God's people, and sometimes we're getting spurred, sometimes we give one another courage. And we come alongside one another, and we say, when your courage fails, here, you can have some of mine. And when following Jesus is too hard for you, we say, that's okay. Let's follow Jesus as us. And when you say, I have no courage left. You're surrounded by a community that says, I get that, but together we will not swerve. This is church at its best. I want to give you an example, uh, and I'm going to go all personal on you here. Many of you know these last number of years have been a challenge for me. We've had the staffing transition, don't know if you noticed. And three or four years of that wears on a person's soul. Uh, Losing Pastor Justin, I realize he's not dead, but that's the language I use. (laughs) Because we cut our teeth in life and ministry together, right? For almost a decade. And then investing in various staff members, investing in different people, some of whom moved on, some of whom were interim. And now now I've been exhausted. And I've been discouraged from time to time. And honestly, if I'm... If I am real, I will say I began to drift. I began to swerve. Now, I'm not saying I went running off to pornography or fell into self-destructive behavior. But when you get below the behavior to that root place where it's your relationship with Jesus, that's the place where I began to, I think, resent God a little bit for these years. And I began to resent God for allowing these years to even happen. And I think... I've been in a bit of a dark place. Now, even there, God has been good. I mean, see what He's been doing in, around, and among us as a church. And even now, church, man, we're in a good place. Right? We've we've got Jake in place. Praise the Lord. That's right. We've got Matt and Katie who are still here. They haven't left. We've got elders, we've got the lead team, we've got small group leaders, we've got ministry teams, we've got all of you who show up on Sundays to worship. This is good. So I'm not saying the church is dark. I'm just saying I'm exhausted. I hope that's not wrong to share. But I'm spent. it's why we applied for the sabbatical. It's why I haven't been preaching as much. But interestingly, while I wasn't preaching, I got to come to community church. Not as your pastor. Not as the preacher. I came as a husband and father. I came as a parishioner. 
And coming in, I got to tell you, I came and I was not where I needed to be with Jesus. I was distant. I hadn't been spending time with him and that happens. Sometimes I wonder if I wasn't in ministry, would I just swerve all the way? Like, <laughs> I got to preach, so I got to be in the Word. And oh, hey, Jesus meets me in the Word. I think that's why God made me a pastor. He knew without that, I'd be gone. <laughs> but you know that place, right? Your heart is cold. Your spirit's just not there. And you come to church. You, you try to open your Bible. You're getting nothing. And you can't even follow through. You come away empty. And so you walk into church and you realize, I have no words this morning, God. I've got nothing to give. I have nothing to offer. I don't even know what to say. Maybe you've been there. I'd lost my courage. And if I had been left to my own devices, if I was alone, I would have swerved. But something really beautiful happened that week. Aaron Smith, you were on overheads. And you put words up for the very first song. Those words said, hope is stirring. Hearts are longing for you. It said, when we see you, we find strength to face the day. It said, in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Words were on the screen. The worship team kicks in with the intro. Amanda, you began to sing. I had no words. Church, you gave me words. You gave me the words I needed. Not the words I wanted. Not even the words I liked. I don't even really like that song. <laughs> it's not about whether or not I liked the song, it was truth. I had no words, you gave me words, and my heart soared unexpectedly as Jesus reached me through all of you. And then Joel, crying out loud, Joel, then you get up to preach. And I've just been encouraged, right? And then comes the spur. Joel's preaching from 2 Corinthians 4. The gospel is light that shines, on, shines truth. He's talking about how the enemy lies to us. And we believe those lies. And one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that it penetrates the lies and shows us the truth of who Jesus is and who I am in relationship with Him. And I realized that I had been believing lies. And that after all these years of transition as a church, I thought God was withdrawing from me. That was a lie. Because I could still see Him at work all around us. No, all the years of transition, God was not withdrawing from me. And as Joel was preaching, I heard Jesus saying, I'm right here. And I've always been right here. You've just been blind. You've just been listening to lies. It's time to stop. I got kicked in the side with a spur because I was about to swerve. And I had to then believe the truth that I am loved by God, even through times of hardship. That I am precious to God, even in times of uncertainty. That Jesus is with me, even in my feelings of loss. And that Jesus is all I need because He's right here. Encouraged with a song and then kicked by a spur. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Double whammy. But it's Hebrews 10. 
And it's why we gather. I was spurred on. I was encouraged. And I needed it because we all swerve. And this is the message of Hebrews 10 for us this morning, right? We're called to be holding unswervingly. We don't want to swerve. How are we going to do that? Because we're going to gather together and declare the hope we profess. And we're going to keep doing it until Jesus comes back and takes us home. And as we're doing it, we're going to be spurring one another on. And sometimes that's sharp and pointy. But other times we're going to encourage one another. And that's a little bit more gentle and necessary. But in all of this, the one thing is that we're never going to give up coming together. When we gather, when, we, not if, when we gather, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, we are shaped as a community, as the people of God. The rhythms we go through each week. You know, seven songs in a sermon. Ha, 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 ha. It matters. And we're going to keep doing it because that rhythm means we sing songs that exalt the name of Christ every week. We preach from the Word every week. Even the announcements remind us that there is a world that God has called us into so we can serve at the open door. We can be part of discipleship opportunities as they arise. We can grow. These rhythms shape us as God's people. And these rhythms don't happen unless we gather. And if we don't gather, we swerve. So I propose to you a new rubric for evaluating church. A new set of criteria by which when someone says, hey, how is church this morning? How do you normally answer that? Oh, didn't like that song. Oh, 70s green carpet. Oh. I really like the carpet and the photographs really nicely in black and white. No, we gather together because we're here to stop the swerve. And that means we gather to worship first and foremost, right? To, to profess the hope we have together in Jesus until He comes back and we get to be with Him face to face. First of, before anything else, we gather to worship. That's what Hebrews 10 says. It also says we gather to spur, which means we are willing to have hard conversations with one another when we see each other swerving. We're willing for that awkwardness. We're willing to go there together. And we're willing to put each other back together again. And we're willing to speak softly and gently. And when your courage runs out, there's someone standing beside you to say, here, have some of mine. So when you say, how was church this morning? The questions you ask are, did you worship? Not, did you like worship? Did you worship? Sometimes it's easy because that's my favorite song and off you go. And other times it's hard because either your heart is cold or the song is. That one's from 1992, I think. The question is not, did they effectively facilitate my worship? The question is, did I worship anyway? The question is, did I, as an act of choice, as an act of my will, I ascribed worth to God because He's worthy? That's the question. 
Did you choose to worship this morning or did you let the consumer mindset get in your way? You want to evaluate church. You ask, did you worship? Second question, did you spur someone else on? Did you get your eyes off yourself long enough to notice the people around you who might be swerving? And might you be able to come alongside a brother or a sister and say, what's going on in your life? Can I pray for you this morning? And might you also ask a third question, not just did you worship, not just did you spur someone else on, but did you give someone some of your courage? You know, it turns out, if church was all about me and getting my needs met, I'd probably last two or three weeks and then I'd be bored. I'd stop coming because all I'd be doing is looking in a mirror. No, first and foremost, church is about God ascribing worth to Him for who He is and then it's all about us. No! No, then we're there to focus on others and to spur and to encourage both of which are aimed to stop the swerve. This is why we gather. This is why we do church. So my friends, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, to your name be all the glory and honor, majesty, power, and strength. We love you. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And thank you that you're coming back. I can't wait for that day. Until then, sometimes I swerve. Sometimes we swerve. And I thank you for the gift of your church. The gift of those one another's in the New Testament. The gift of being able to partner in life as a follower of Jesus with all these crazy people here. What a privilege. So Lord Jesus, with gratitude in our hearts, we do ask with humility, for discernment and insight, that you'd help us get our eyes off ourselves, that we might pay attention to people around us and the lives around us and the stories around us so that we might be effective as ministers of your grace, whether someone needs to be met with a spur or whether someone needs some of our courage. May we be a people who are aware of what's going on around us as we gather that we might strengthen and correct and admonish and delight in being together. And in all of that, that we might return from the swerve so that we might head straight at you. You are our God and we love you with everything we've got. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.